Unorthodox with the Angry Behavior Analyst is a relief valve for stifled thoughts, theories, and opinions related to social science. Unorthodox is unfiltered, uncensored, and most importantly, uncancelable. The Angry Behavior Analyst is all triggers, no warnings. All right, everybody, welcome back to Unorthodox. It is this week's bonus episode, and with me, I have someone very special. He might actually be my fourth favorite guest on the show. He is my husband, Dylan. Wait, I don't even make the top three. <laughs> Dylan doesn't listen no. to the podcast, so he he missed the top three cut for that one. Top five's okay. Top five is okay with you? Okay. Dylan's okay with being in the top five. The reason why I have Dylan with me today is because our families have some great insight and lineage to generational divides. I am a millennial, which is somewhat embarrassing to even admit, considering the reputation of millennials. Dylan is a Gen Xer, although he hates being called a Gen Xer. I don't hate it. It just wasn't important for our generation. It wasn't important to label yourselves as a name? Yes. Okay. I think our parents gave us that name, but we never thought about generation. Yeah. What's even more interesting and part of possibly what connected me and Dylan uh, when we met 10 years ago was the fact that my parents are baby boomers. So they had me very late in life and Dylan's parents are baby boomers. So Dylan is 20 years older than me. 19. 19. (laughs) Close. Important distinction to make. He's 19 years older than me. But our parents are about the same age. So Dylan's parents are only a couple years older than mine, yet they parented in very similar ways. So you can imagine a baby boomer parenting a millennial, which was me and my brother, versus a baby boomer parenting a Gen Xer. And Dylan and his brother, mm-hmm. quick little snippet for you. Who were you named after, Dylan? Bob Dylan. Who was your brother named after? Billy Joel. Dylan's brother's name is Joel, and they were named after some of the uh, the music icons of, would that be considered a baby boomer music um, icon? Yeah, but I think that when my parents were within their religious aspect, uh, my mom wanted to name uh, her natural birth son, after a biblical character. Mm. Character. Wow, that's interesting. That a I said biblical that. character. Yeah. It's a little Joel. Freudian slip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and Joel. And so my dad said, that, let's name him Joel. So, and Billy Joel was one of my dad's, uh, you know, favorite composers, music artists, yada, yada, yada. Dylan, what do you mean by first natural born son uh because i was adopted Mm -hmm. can you elaborate for our audience yeah um adoption dylan loves one word answers and uh he's about as sarcastic as i am so we really go toe to toe when we yeah i was i was adopted Mm -hmm. and my brother was biological like the biological yes so the prodigal son yes gary and linda (laughs) conceived and Uh they had Joel. Yeah. 
So what we'll get to a little bit later on in the episode is something that quite a few of you have been asking fervently about is the fact that Dylan grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. If those of us maybe need our memory refreshed as to Jehovah's Witnesses, they are the people that go door to door with their Bible and you typically army crawl to your door so that you could avoid having to answer the bell. These were the people that I always kind of avoided because me, I have, I'm not religious. My family's not religious. So Dylan brings a really interesting insight about religion to my life and my parents' life. Mormons also do that. Mormons also do that. I've never seen a Mormon do it. I've only encountered Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, then they're the cream of the crop. They're the creme de la creme <laughs> of, of door-to-door canvassing yeah. for, for Jesus. All right, let's start off. Who were the baby boomers? Quite a few principles of the baby boomers and values that they held that are quite different from maybe millennial, I shouldn't say millennial parents, Gen X parents, and when millennials are now becoming parents. There is a phrase, Dylan, that I want to know what you think of. Boomer phobia, an extreme or irrational fear or aversion to people in their late 50s to mid 70s. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> they're afraid of being like called out. Mm. You know, like this is what needs to be done. You're not doing it. And then they run and hide. Do you think it's because millennial parents are the ones that want to be their kid's friend rather than the parent? Yes. Okay. Has anyone, because you work with a, a lot of younger people, right? Yes. A lot of people my age. Yes. Do you feel like they have an aversion to you or your, I guess, standpoints or? Yeah, I think um, as you're raising a child, um, I have a 21-year-old, um, in the beginning of his livelihood, yeah, I had to instill from what was taught to me to um, instill some discipline and, Hey, you know what? This is normal. This is, uh, this is what happens. Um, you got to push them and it's hard. It's heartbreaking at times, but as we age, as we all mature, now I have the most amazing conversations uh, with my son. And I'm assuming that this is what, naturally happens is that you actually become friends mm -hmm. but you have to parent. later in life later in life not, yeah not when you're... you can't start off that way no. yeah and that was another element that we we won't dive too much today into gen z but dylan's son technically is gen z so we are spanning across four generations here the boomer phobia, which sounds ridiculous in and of itself, has a lot to do with this kind of snarky dig at baby boomers. You might have seen it in the media. Bill Maher jokes about this quite a bit. The phrase, OK, boomer, where younger people, so maybe 
Gen Z and millennials kind of scoff at the personality or the boundaries, the discipline or the general ideals of people. They're offended by baby. Why would they be offended by baby boomers? Because they they've never been called out because they're fragile. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I've posted recently that I think that I've had the general idea of Gen Z all wrong. But what I can speak to is that millennials, so people my age and even older than me, are quite fragile. Some of the most sensitive people I've ever spoken to or worked with. Any thoughts? I I agree. Okay. Baby boomers are a group of people that were born between 1946 and 1964. So it spanned almost 20 years. And it refers to a large generation born between the end of World War II and into the mid-1960s. So when everyone came home from World War II, they thought to themselves, what a prime ideal time to start making babies. Yeah, and I I just want to add that this whole notion of um, baby boomers, Generation X, and everything that follows is primarily based on the America point of view, not yes. worldwide. Yes. The reason why Dylan brings this up, which is a great point, is that my mom was born and raised in Cuba. So although she, by age, is a baby boomer, she might have been excluded from, I guess, the cultural side of baby mm-hmm. boomers because yeah. of the fact that she's technically not an American. She will argue otherwise. She will fight tooth and nail to tell everybody that she is a proud American, but she she good was not her. born her. She yeah, was, yes, yeah, good, good for, for her. her. Yes. The baby boomers were shaped by quite, quite a few um, very powerful influential events in the 60s. In 1963, boomers actually saw the rise of Martin Luther King. Even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. Along with his tragic fall when he was assassinated, they also witnessed some of the greatest marvels of science with the Apollo moon landing, the first ever moon landing in 1969. So technically, this would have been a little bit after the cutoff for the baby boomer age range, but it was still mind-blowing and... And I'm assuming Dylan assumes it was mind blowing. uh, Nonetheless, that's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. So in the West, the people born in the years before the actual boom were some of the most influential. There were the Beatles. There was Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones and Dylan's family was heavily, uh, not, I guess, I hate to keep using the word influenced. Um, they were dazzled by some of the the musical popularities well, during that time. Yeah, and I think um, it evolved from the time frame of the 60s. Mm-hmm. I didn't leave, I didn't live in the 60s, um, but... It sounds like that was a very interesting time in America's um, turn. It it was a lot going on 
And that's when the hippie movement evolved. Mm -hmm. Before we get to the hippie movement, I want to talk about parenting in the how baby boomers parented. And this is a little bit difficult because we only were aware, I guess, of parenting styles and how our decisions and our behavior and even our personalities were shaped by the way that both of our parents parented. But do you think that parents during the baby boomer age, they felt like their role in parenting was starting to diminish because of technological and medicinal advances? No. And- my grandparents, my grandfather went to work and my grandmother stayed home. Mm-hmm. Um, she did actually go back to work once my, uh, my uncle and my dad went off to college or moved out of the house. But yeah, I mean, that was essentially it. You know, the man went to work and, you know, the mother stayed home to take care of the house. Yeah, this was still a time period when women were considered homemakers and men were the breadwinners and the baby boomers really valued the nuclear family and an intact family with very distinctive roles between what men did and what women did. And I believe that's how that was passed down. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I think that's based off of religion, but we can get into that later. How is it based off of religion? Oh, the, the, uh, the patriarchy of, uh, the P word. Yeah, I know. I hate using that, but it is what it is. Um, the Bible says the man is the head of the household and the woman should submit basically to the man. I don't necessarily agree with that Mm -hmm. uh, because I wasn't raised in that environment, but everybody was okay with it. In my opinion, uh, from what I understand, everybody was okay with it during that time. So they submitted to it is what you're saying. Well, so did, you know, men did too. Yeah. Men like, Oh, I got to go out and I got to do this, you mm -hmm. know? And and when like, well, you need to go do this. I'm going to do this. And it was a team. It was a teamwork. Mm -hmm. You know, it was. So I want to make sure that we're clear. Yes. When you say the patriarchy Mm -hmm. is, I guess, a spawn of religion and the Bible or any religion per se, are you saying that you believe we live in a patriarchal society or that the whole concept of the patriarchy alone is? I understand why people would think that way. I don't live that way, but I can understand why people would think that. Okay. But you, do you agree or do you just understand? Um, I don't agree because I wasn't raised that way. Yeah. Before we get into Dylan's upbringing, because Dylan is a perfect example of someone not only that came from, not came from a broken home, but his, his parents did divorce during um, his childhood. And it is not both considered a broken home. It is a broken home, but your, your parents started off when they were married and they didn't divorce until you were, th- what, 13? It's still a broken home. It is a broken home, but I'm saying when you were born and throughout your childhood, your parents were still intact in the home. Uh, yeah, but I was young. I don't remember. <laughs> you know? Okay. So yeah. you don't think it influenced you at all, even though you don't remember it? Um, not until it was a broken home. Okay. We 
We'll wait until we finish up our baby boomer section. And then as soon as we get into Gen X, that's when we're going to revisit this. But as a really quick little foreshadowing for that, Dylan's mom and dad both worked full time. And Dylan was amongst Gen X, which was the first generation of latchkey kids. But let's swing back. You mentioned the hippie generation Mm -hmm. and Woodstock and Baby boomers kind of, I guess they wanted to believe that they were youthful. So regardless of them aging, they still had this youthful spirit. Did you see that in your parents? Uh, No. I didn't either. My dad is a curmudgeon that hates everybody. (laughs) So everybody except me. I was born after that peaceful aspect. Yeah. So you weren't born into the the peace and love, let's all take magic mushrooms and do LSD era. No. This was yeah. I was born in 72. Do you know if your parents ever participated, we'll call it that. If they ever participated in these communes and and mystical religions and these topless sexually liberated people that you see in the crowd at Woodstock. Do you know if you're, they never did. Why do you think that they didn't? Because they told me that they didn't. And I believe them. Did they say why? I mean, I asked them and they said, no, no. I mean, did they say why they, they never found interest in. No, one never dove deep into that because that wasn't the, the the homestead mm-hmm. you know um when i was able to start comprehending at whatever age that was yeah they just didn't do it i could I, yeah i don't believe that they did do you think that had anything to do with your mom being a jehovah's witness my mom was an atheist to start off with that's right let's talk about that so she was an atheist or she told you that she was an atheist right um, my dad was a an editor at a uh, a local um, newspaper in Elyria, Ohio, and uh, he met a gentleman by the name of Mike Lewis, who happened to be a an elder mm-hmm. um, as a Jehovah's Witness, and started talking to my dad about religion. And my dad was, you know, completely um radical and maverickish and um he started talking to him about religion my dad found it fascinating and then invited mike into their home and my mom literally said i had questions uh on a on a legal pad if anybody even knows what that is anymore do they even make those <laughs> I, yeah yeah i don't know but she said that i asked him i asked mike lewis uh every single question that i wrote down and he was able to answer with a scripture and that's what kind of converted her hmm. into being a jehovah's witness i wonder if she just resonated with each scripture and found a way to relate it maybe to Possibly. To herself. In the 1960s, I mentioned people wanting to feel sexually liberated and personally liberated. And this was a time when birth control was first developed and approved through the FDA. So the first contraceptive pill 
which literally just had the quote, the pill. If you said the pill, everyone knew what you were referring to. It wasn't dropping acid. It wasn't any sort of narcotic. It was a form of contraception. And this also may have incentivized premarital sex and it led us into, not us, when I say us, I mean baby boomers, it led human beings into what was called the sexual revolution, where because there were more reliable methods of contraception and even antibiotics related to STDs and venereal diseases, people were really starting to move out of the, the value around the, nucle- the nuclear family. Along with the sexual revolution was a new wave of feminism. As we had mentioned, moving towards Gen X when females were actually encouraged to leave the home and work outside of the home instead of uh, raise the kids, wipe boogery noses and butts, they were starting to infiltrate the workforce. However, with the more traditional views of man equals breadwinner, woman equals homemaker being relaxed a little bit, women were becoming more and more aware of the fact that maybe there was some elements of a patriarchal culture. I even hate to say that. I think I'm cringing a little as I say that, but when women were when they actually were limited from working and they were being paid less than men, yes, there there were still ties to uh, to a patriarchal society and a patriarchal upbringing. However, the more awareness that came with the baby boomers realizing that they could work if they wanted to and that nothing really was holding them back from achieving the same things as men came second wave feminism, which really sought to bring more awareness to a supposed gender gap in pay um, for equal work, government-funded daycare services, and there were even some groups like the National Organization for Women that equated women's rights with civil rights. During the baby boomer stage, the American dream was promised to both men and women. Did your parents ever mention the American dream, Dylan? Yes. Um, I had, um, I remember this distinct conversation and my dad told me that what he believed the American dream is, because we all have a conception of what the American dream is, but it can only happen with those that immigrate to this country because we are essentially given the American dream. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously we make bad decisions, but you know, people come to America. We, the, the country in general and the politics and government is extremely ethnocentric, but the American dream only actually applied to those that were actually trying to achieve that dream. And we are fortunate enough, if we were born in America, we already had it. It was at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we were raised, our work ethics, um, and the decisions that we made, there you go. Yeah, and the American dream, if we go off of, I guess, the definition of the American dream, 
the ideal by which equality of opportunity is available to anybody and anybody can attain or should be given the opportunity to move upward. So upward mobility should be available to any and all Americans. I know for certain that my mom and her mom, that was the reason they came to America. They lived in communist Cuba where there was no such thing as Castro. Under Castro. Yeah. yeah. And there was no such thing as, as values and principles per se. It was all about whatever Castro decided everyone should believe in. So there, I I believe my mom's version of the American dream is, I don't want to say it's more powerful than my dad's, but like you said, my dad had all of the opportunity in the world growing up here. Well, at least in America. Yeah. He grew up in America. Yeah. So it's the it's the house with the picket fence, and mm-hmm. you know you're you know you you have a roof over your head. You're able to have clothing. You can buy food, water, you know things of that nature. Mm-hmm. The American dream was believed to be achieved through sacrifice, risk taking, and hard work, rather than by chance. This is actually the invention of the fifty hour work week was these baby boomers who were workaholics and they, how does the phrase go? They, they live to work or they work to live. What would that be? Both. Both. (laughs) That makes it easy. (laughs) They worked a lot, the baby boomers, and they had sometimes a a more difficult time managing what current day calls work-life balance because they wanted to ensure their the their place in corporate America. Yes. And they got those ethics from their parents who grew up in the Great Depression or lived through the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. So you did what you had to do to survive mm-hmm. and you didn't complain about it. Right. My grandmother always told me and she was the well tom bro called called them the greatest generation um which they probably are but uh apparently society calls them the silent generation Mm -hmm. my grandma always said to me when i would complain about any job i i I talked about uh, or complained about she said well just be thankful that you have a job Mm -hmm. and that was their mentality you do what you need to do in order to survive. And that yeah. was passed on to the baby boomers who probably growing up didn't have it that easy. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Didn't have what that easy? Well, their parents were probably working their asses off because yeah. they didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. And so it was just hard work, hard work. And they wanted to provide a better life for their children. And then all of a sudden, boom, now there's a shit ton of of humans <laughs> yeah. like, okay, how are we going to, you know, and I think a lot of the baby boomers and still, you know, the work ethics um, that they, you know, assumed from, from their parents who had nothing. Yeah. And each generation wants the next generation to have a better life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where this is going. This is going down a rabbit hole. It sure is. Speaking of the rabbit hole, we enter Generation X.
when women started heading back into the workforce and they made their stake in full-time employment, And the first generation of self-sufficient latchkey kids. Dylan, you were a latchkey kid. Can you describe for our audience what latchkey kids are? Um, well, my parents divorced when I was 13. Um, my mom was already working, uh, but my dad went off uh, to a, a different state. Um, and my mom woke up at five o'clock in the morning to go to her job. Um, and she had to provide. She was raising um, two sons. I was 13, you know, 14, uh, my brother is six years younger than me. So you guys can do the math. And my, my, um, responsibility was I had to set my alarm early so that I can get my brother up so that he could go to school. And I had to get on the bus, a bus before he did because his bus came later and I had a key in my pocket. Uh, so that I can get back into the house because my mom didn't come home for like 13 hours later. So she left at five o'clock in the morning and sometimes she didn't come home till eight o'clock at night. So you and your brother essentially woke up and went to school by yourself and then came home to an empty house. Yes. And I had to get him prepared and I left before he even left. So like he was like 10 mm -hmm. or eight. Um, and he had to go out of the house and he literally wore, he had a piece of yarn at my mom <laughs> and he had a key that he wore around his neck. I mean, that's where, where it came from. I, I didn't wear that. I had it mine in my pocket. More fashionable. Yeah. Um, but my mom, uh, as a single woman, divorced and she taught us how to cook, how to iron, how to do laundry. Um, and she expected things to be done by the time she got home, because when she got home, she was, I'm, where's I'm my, done. I'm done. Where's my dinner? Yes. Which is so interesting to me, because if we think about society's, I guess, conception of the misogynist male who comes home, does not want to raise a finger and sit the, sits at the table like a caveman pounding, where's my dinner? Your mom really flipped that entire... She ran a tight ship. Yeah. And yes. There is no way that I think that there is a, a, a patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Because I was raised by a By mother, a powerful woman. A powerful, educated woman who held an amazing title. Mm -hmm. She was the editor and publisher of the Cleveland Clinic Journal of Medicine. So... She had an amazing role. She was the shit. Dylan, did your mom ever state any concerns, complaints around achieving this role because of gender? No. So no. it was. she felt that it was something that was deserved and that it, she had equal opportunity to males working in that same industry. All right. Let me give you, I, I, I'll tell you a little story. So she grew up in a, 
and a farm in Indiana, and she loves farms, and she loves horses, horses and cows, and the smell of manure. It's weird, <laughs> but um, she is one of three, um, and her parents were simple farmers, and she loved that that area that that the country. Indiana. She like you talk about Indiana. She was like, "Oh my god, I miss the smell of Indiana." I'm like, "Okay, whatever." Um, <laughs> but her and her sister, my aunt uh, Mary Jane, we call her Janie, mm-hmm. who ended up being the dean of the business school at the University of Hawaii, and then at the University of of Iowa. So they're both very, you know, educated or whatever you want to call that. I'd say they're pretty high achieving careerist yeah. type of people. And the oldest brother became a, a truck driver mm-hmm. and he did very well. Talk about that. stereotypes, not yeah. really lining yeah. up so with it the was, times. Right. That's really interesting. So really quick to review generation X is anyone born from 1965 to 1980. Dylan, when were you born? 1972. Dylan was born in 1972 Gen Xers came of age where children during the 80s were amidst the crack epidemic. Do you remember this being brought up in school at all? Um, Yeah, it was um, Nancy Reagan. Just say no. Yeah, Just Say No was on T-shirts and bumper stickers and and everywhere. Do you remember there being any drug turf battles and increased um, kind of more violent crime related to drugs in the U.S. at that time? Not in my, where I lived, but we, I might have heard about it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, not where I lived. Okay. In 86, Reagan actually signed the Anti-Drug Abuse Act to enforce strict mandatory minimum sentencing for drug users, and he increased the federal budget for supply reduction efforts. And this is also when AIDS came about. Everyone was scared of getting AIDS, and that was almost used as fuel to try to tell Gen X, don't have sex. Well, I think that during that time, they... Um, associate AIDS with the male gay population mm-hmm. versus what we know now is more of the IV um, drug users. Yeah. Well, yeah. So at the time that there was the AIDS epidemic, which was in the 80s, by 1985, there were an estimated one to two million Americans who were HIV positive with the LGBT community taking the biggest hit. So they were, they kind of comprised most of that population that was contracting AIDS. Yeah. I mean, what, I guess during that time, um, it was either, can I be blunt? Of course, that's okay. what this podcast is for. Right. He, oh, also, guys, uh, Dylan doesn't listen to this podcast, so he's not sure how we work around here. Yeah. But yes, go ahead. All right. So during that time, uh, it was 
it was you were either gay. I mean, that's what we were. That's, that's what, what you we were, were taught, taught in sex education. Yes. So it was pretty graphic from what you remember. 100%. Do you think that it was that graphic because it was a fear tactic that was effective amongst in Gen retrospect, X? In retrospect, yeah. I think everything in retrospect is was a fear tactic. As you get older, you millennial, <laughs> you're going to go back and you're going to think about the things that you thought about and you were absolutely going to be coerced into thinking a different way that you had been coerced into a a different way. Yeah. As a millennial, my parents were home all of the time. Obviously I've talked about my dad very frequently on my sub stack and on this podcast, instilling a lot of uh, baby boomer latchkey kid esque traits in me, but it doesn't change the fact that they were home all of the freaking time. Dylan, I'm going to read to you a little blurb from a latchkey kid and I want your thoughts on it. Okay. All right. If you went to school in the eighties, you may have very well, bid farewell to both parents as they headed out the door to their respective jobs while you boarded the bus or walked to school by yourself. You may have also returned home from school before both of your parents made yourself a snack and watched the Cosby show. Perhaps you had a list of to-dos that your mom left behind, but you spent your afternoons largely unsupervised and carefree. You chose your after-school adventures. You were essentially the master of your domain. The image in pop culture was that of a child getting off the school bus with their front door key hanging around their neck who had to manage their afternoon schedule without parental supervision. Even if you weren't an actual latchkey kid, you were expected to be independent like one. I agree. Dylan concurs. That's great. No, I mean, that's (laughs) that's literally, you know, what happened. I mean, even before uh, my parents divorced, so now we're going... Um, I was like maybe 10, um, my parents would still be asleep and my alarm went off and I was, it was my responsibility to get myself ready and then get on the bus. They wouldn't even get up that that was just like, Hey, you know what? You need to be up by this time to catch the bus here. So I would do that. I would, God, I forgot about this. (laughs) I, um, I would get myself ready, take a shower and go downstairs, watch, uh, cartoons that were on from six 30 in the morning to seven. And then I knew at six 50, I needed to leave because that's when the bus came at seven o'clock in the morning. And I remember one time that I missed the bus and because I was so engrossed in the cartoon and I had a knock on my parents' door and I was so afraid. And my dad was so pissed because. So he I, was home. My dad and my, no, in their bedroom, they were sleeping. Like Oh, they were sleeping, they were sleeping same, while you were getting ready. Okay. Yes, got they, it. Didn't, they didn't get up to wake me up. Yeah. They told me, set your alarm. You this do is what it. You need to do. And then you get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> That's essentially yeah. it. And I remember the one time where I missed the bus because I was so engrossed in the cartoon and my dad was pissed that he had to drive me to school. <laughs> he, he what was, the hell? You can me Yeah, he was pissed. I'm he a was, parent that has to drive my child to school. How now, dare you? Now there's a, a, a mile long 
two mile long line of cars yeah and, and if kids it. are are walking to school by themselves in some states you could actually call the police and there could be a, um a an accusation of neglect you know what that is i know i'm not gonna be the whole cliche of oh i walked up you know four miles uphill in the snow with no shoes but i literally like my parents sent me out it was a mile away to my kindergarten. When, when I was in kindergarten, they like, here you go. Here's your backpack. Here's your boots in the winter. All right. You're going to go that way. And then you're going to turn left. Yeah. Sebastian and, Maniscalco jokes that he, his Italian parents say, you know what? Just keep walking until you see buildings. And yeah, that'll probably be the it. one. My mom, <laughs> I think you saw a picture. My mom actually took a picture of me walking home. Yes. It was a, fucking blizzard i was i looked like a a, a husky that's been like you know <laughs> running around in, in alaska for like four or five hours and yeah i was covered and she was like oh my god that's so cute and i take a picture he's freezing to death that's I'm adorable to, yeah that's great this will make a great yeah. mantelpiece shot so <laughs> do you feel like this upbringing carved out your work ethic um yeah but i was also raised in a very religious household and that played a huge part dylan was raised as a jehovah's witness dylan tell us tell us a little bit about that boy um well i didn't celebrate christmas i didn't celebrate birthdays i didn't celebrate any holidays no halloween um yeah that was based off of uh their belief of paganism and you know i did some research and there is there is some truth to it but what kind of truth uh that there was how the pagans believed and how the witnesses completely mm. don't want anything to do with paganism okay um but um, yeah, so when my parents uh, divorced, my mom, like I said, ran a tight ship. Uh, I did go door to door. Um, even when my dad was still a witness, he disassociated himself. Why? Uh, because he thought it was bullshit. <laughs> and, and you later would find that you thought it was, it was bullshit. more of a controlling thing. Um, and I think that was more internal, um, you know within the homestead um, versus like what the religion actually like was as a whole. Yes. Okay. Uh, my mom, like I said, she was at that point full-time working mother raising two kids, uh, two sons, which is, that's a little different. Mm -hmm. um, I was extremely rebellious. I wanted to go to dances, believe it or not. I wanted to go to the high school dance I was not allowed to do that. I wanted to have a girlfriend. I was not allowed to do that. They discouraged during during the time that I was a witness. Um, they discouraged going to college and getting education. Why? Because they can <laughs> like they can find a scripture in the Bible, and everybody can oh. that you know it, they can. Um, make it look like the more educated you are, 
the more questions you're going to ask. And this goes back centuries of just keep people in the dark. Well, there's truth to the fact that the more educated you are, the more questions you could ask and the more reasoning you could formulate. But that doesn't always mean that you're correct. That's right. Or but accurate. There are people that latch onto that. Yeah. I and mean, you look at uh, the Eastern Orthodox, uh, which I actually ended up being baptized as Greek Orthodox. And just thinking about like, wow, this is the blind leading the blind. And then having conversations with um, some of my uh, previous Jewish clients that they would say the same thing. Like, you know, you just religion. They wanted to make it simple because they were, I'm going to say this, they were ignorant in the definition of what ignorance means. It's like they just didn't know. Yeah. It's not like, oh, you're a stupid asshole. But they, you know, they just wanted answers. They, they needed God in their life. And uh, this is where they were going to show them, like, you're okay. This is what you have to do. And they just abided by it without questioning. So mm-hmm. the more education that you got, the more questions that you answered. So they did not, uh, yeah, they did not like when people went to college. Then um, that was during my time. So, um and then you actually had to pass a test in order to be baptized. I don't, and again, I don't know what the Jehovah's Witnesses are doing now, but I had to buy a book. It was only like two bucks. But then I had to study it, and then I had to read the book, and then uh, I had to meet with three different elders of the conversation, uh, of the, um, the congregation, mm-hmm. and then they would test me on what I read, like for each section. Sounds like Sunday school. Yes. It was kind of like their, yeah, their, their Sunday school. Mm-hmm. So I went through this process. Um, and you had to memorize scriptures and give this, you know, give them the reason why you thought this way and yada, yada, yada. And that is a true commitment. It's a past the bloom of youth. And it's in the, it's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to the end, uh, the last uh, meeting with the, with the elder who happened to be my best friend's dad. And I, they put me through this whole process, which was almost a month, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end, um, he told me, like, yes, so Dylan, thank you so much, you know, for, for doing this. Um, we appreciate your, you know, your, your participating more in the congregation and going door to door, which I hated. Um, and they, he told me, yeah, we don't think you're ready to be baptized. Why? What was his reasoning for that? That you didn't pass all of the little quizzes and tests? They had their own secret meeting. Would you, okay, sorry to interrupt you. Would you say that when I just think of secret meetings in religion and you and me have had several conversations about yeah. this, that religions are cults. Do you believe that to be true? Um, no, religions are a business. Hmm. Can you explain or maybe help us because they distinguish may... between a business and a cult? 
Well, okay. So let me ask you something. Okay. Do you think Catholics are a cult? The, the Catholic Church, do you think that's a cult? I think when I think about cults and how they function uh, outside of how the media portrays them. So, you know, the Waco cult in Texas or this whole Nexium movement or whatever, I think at the core of cults is that these are very like-minded people that force conformity onto all of their members. So to a degree, religion does kind of infuse aspects of that into its members and its communities. But again, I'm not religious, so I could be completely wrong. Everybody can be wrong, but you're not answering my question. I am. I just answered your question. Do you think the Catholic church, because when we think of Christians, I think majority of people are going to think of Catholicism. Right. Because that's the biggest Christian Mm -hmm. sect. Do you think the Christian organization is a cult? Going off of the definition I just gave, I would say yes. Okay. I don't. Why not? Um, Because I think of a cult as um, Charles Manson, Waco, Texas. There are extremists, for sure. There's no doubt about that. Within religion. Within everything. Yes, within religion. Mm-hmm. So it, just because you hang out with a, a certain ethnicity, you know, a certain culture, a certain religion, that would say, like, okay, the only people um, that hang out with Italians, that Italians can all, all of a sudden be a cult. Yeah, I guess like judging off of their behavior in terms of how they only kind of congregate with each other and maybe even scorn other people that are not Italians. Could that tech how? So if that qualifies as a cult, how is that different from something like Waco, Texas? Because they were I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that because it is a you know, this is how. They were raised. This is how they were, you know, taught to to think. How to, they were taught to feel. Um, you can label a lot of things, I guess, with the definition that you gave that you gave as a cult. But you know, it's just to me, it's just religion. Mm-hmm. It's just a belief. Yeah, I didn't think it was a cult. I do think I was brainwashed. There was things that you know, that they made me feel afraid of in what they quote unquote, I hate using the quotes, (laughs) the air quotes, but the world. um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but this is just how I, that's how I saw it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that being said, you still contest, though, that... So maybe I should have elaborated on my statement. I don't think every single religion is a cult, and I don't think all religion is a cult. I think think that the extremist members of certain religions, or maybe more extremist groups within certain sects, can technically qualify as a cult. But but going off of what you're saying that you were brainwashed and you were kind of made to feel afraid of certain things, you still contest that that wasn't cult-like? Um, no. I mean, you know, 
your dad probably, and I'm going to use this term, instilled the fear of God in you. Mm. You know? Um, so we, when you're young, yes, it's easy to be influenced. And then as I matured to the, <laughs> the ripe age of 17, when I decided to leave, I said, well, they told me, no, you're not ready. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Now we're by their standards. Yeah, we're, yeah. Yeah, we're coming right back to the original. Um, they told me, we don't think Dylan, that you're ready to dedicate yourself to God. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I remember looking out the window because my friends were playing outside and I said, who was this man to tell me that I'm not ready to dedicate myself to God? Mm -hmm. And that was it. My hands were washed of this, uh, this religion and how my mom wanted me to be. And she was raising trying to raise men mm -hmm. that were able to take care of shit, you know, not to rule or control, but to take care of their own shit because that's how she raised us. Mm -hmm. You do your own laundry. Mm -hmm. I'm working. Mm -hmm. Not coming home like, oh, I don't have any clothes. Like, then go wash your clothes. Yeah. They're in a dryer. Then go fold them. Mm-hmm. And like she ran, that's how my brother and I were raised. So when this man came to me and said, you know what? We appreciate all this, yada, yada, yada. And then they said, we don't think that you're ready to be baptized as a Jehovah's Witness. That's why I was never, that's why I was never baptized as a Jehovah's Witness. And that's when I left. And I, that's when my mom and I started button heads more. And she was, you know. She's a baby boomer and she came from work ethics and this is how she wanted her life, which in her household, which she was entitled to. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And she told me, if you don't like it here, you can go live with your dad. And guess what? That's what she did. I left. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my dad obviously is a baby boomer and he's like... <laughs> Okay, I'm glad that you're here, but this is what you have to do. And, I mean, that was it. It yeah. never stopped. We hate to leave you on another cliffhanger, but my husband and I have a habit of just talking for hours and hours on end. So this will be a two-part series where next week we continue the conversation with Dylan's upbringing as a Jehovah's Witness, and we finally make our way back into the millennial generation of internet children, which includes myself, and Dylan has a whole bunch of questions for me. We'll, well that, see you then. Oh, yeah, that's only going to last like five minutes. Oh, so well, Dylan thinks that that's unimportant. <laughs> All right, we will see you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>